Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Mary can't do anything for you. And in fact, the, the Bible tells us that we have one intercessor. We don't need the saints. Praise God for saints. Praise God for men and women who are faithful to Jesus and were used by God to do amazing and incredible things and dedicated their lives to serving Him. Praise God for saints. We have one mediator. We have one intercessor, and His name is Jesus. He's the only one you need to go to. When you have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you have an eternal advocate. As you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he explains to you that there's no need to turn to anyone else to intercede for you. All that you need can be found in directly going to Jesus. Pastor James encourages you that because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, you have an advocate, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, forever interceding on your behalf. Turn to Jesus for all of your needs. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 2, as Pastor James begins his message, The Perfect Gift. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken, we need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless, bread for the broken, broken. Verse 1 of chapter 2. It says that at the time of the Roman, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, okay? I believe these censuses kind of took place like every like 12 years, okay? So it's fascinating that, I mean, here's Rome, this, and Rome is ruling the known world at the time. And so they decree like everybody's got to go back to their hometown because we're going to run, we need a count, right? We need a count. We're going to do a census, it's fascinating. We just went through a census within our own country, right? You guys remember that, that happened? That was during COVID, I think. Um, they sent out the cards and they're like, praise God, you don't have to go back to your hometown to fill these things out because that'd be ludicrous. But they're like, no, we, we need to know who lives in our country. We need to, we need, and I don't know what they do with that information. I don't even know how they process that information, but it's just, it's, it's so fascinating that even within our own time, like we're, we're going through a census, we're going through a census. Huh, interesting. So there's the Roman emperor, Augustus. He decrees that the census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Verse 2, this was the first census taken when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. Okay? So just to pause there, this Quirinius guy and the census that it's talking about, there's, there are some thoughts that this, this census and even the birth of Jesus actually t- would, are, are taking place around like five or six BC. So there's some thought that like Jesus, because we always put him as like being born at what, like 180. I don't know what the reason and logic behind that is, because we're like, well, that's just how it is, right? Well, there's a good chance he was born in like five or six BC. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I could trust anything now. No, you can, because it's not that big of a deal, right? But just time frame wise, and when these censuses were taken, so what does that mean and all this stuff? It doesn't really mean much other than these things are historically accurate. And you can, in fact, you can trace this back where they, they, they know that, and this is Luke who's writing this, and Luke was a, he was a physician, um, but he's very accurate with a lot of his details. And so he's including all these details for a reason. He's like, look, I want to make sure that, let's say, hypothetically, 2,000 years from now, some, uh, some smart people are going to be reading this thing and be like, well, wait a minute, we don't know if this census thing was even real. 
And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to put down some more extra information in there so that they can do their research and find out that, no, actually, these senses took place. Jesus was literally born in Bethlehem. And they know that. (laughs) And there's no debating it. There's no getting around it. Because some people actually question whether or not Jesus is a real person. They're like, well, we don't know if he was really born. And Dr. Luke is like, no, I'm inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm going to put down some extra information in here just so they know. Yes, he was really born. He was. So he added that little extra, the census of, you know, with Quirinius, the, the governor of Syria. Uh, so everybody goes back to their own ancestral towns to register for, for the census. Because, verse 4, Joseph was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Okay, so we know. We know about Bethlehem. We, we know, if you know anything about the Old Testament, that, yeah, that's, that's the neighborhood where David grew up, okay? And it's in those fields outside of Bethlehem, maybe the very same fields that we're going to be reading about in a second. But it's old little town of Bethlehem, right? Micah chapter 5, verse 2, like the Messiah, hey, Bethlehem, kind of small town, insignificant to a certain extent. The Messiah will come from you. It's beautiful. That kind of speaks to us on a certain, a certain level, because I mean, I know that's speaking geographically, but I, I would want to make it personal for you. Because Bethlehem is very small. Now, just because it's small doesn't mean it's insignificant. And the fact that Jesus would, would show up in Bethlehem and come, be born in Bethlehem, I would hope that maybe you can catch from that, that it doesn't matter even where you're at, status-wise, within your life. Like, well, I, I, don't, I don't make this much money. Okay, that's fine. The Lord, the Lord can certainly use you. Well, I don't have a college degree. Well, Join the club, okay? Um, the Lord can certainly use you. Nothing disqualifies us. And, and even for little old little town of Bethlehem, nothing disqualified, nothing was going to disqualify it because from that little bitty town, the hometown of David, comes the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So maybe that's just a little encouragement for us. But little town of Bethlehem, that's where, that's where Jesus would be born. I'm just going to move on because we got a lot of text to cover. So um, Micah 5.2, write that down. You write that down. That's a cross-reference. That's speaking of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, okay? So here's the problem, okay? Because we're like, you, we're jumping into chapter 2, and if, you're, if you've never heard the story, you're like, okay. Well, chapter 1 tells us that Joseph is betrothed. Mary and Joseph, they're betrothed, okay? So this is how they do marriages. It's prearranged, prearranged marriages, Okay, you got two families that come together and they're like, look, we like your family. We, we, we love how you guys do family, we, you know, and all this good stuff. And you got a son, we got a daughter. We want our daughter or we want our son. We, we want them to marry your daughter or your son, vice versa, whatever it may be. So they would set these things up because they all lived within community. And so they, they overlap with each other all the time. This is what happened. So you have Mary who has been betrothed to Joseph. So... Now, they, they haven't consummated the marriage yet. That's the key. They haven't consummated the marriage yet, but they are set to be married. Legally, all the stuff has kind of been done. So here's Mary. Angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, blessed are you. God's picked you. Out of all the ladies in Israel, and now you can narrow that down to the different tribes and all that good stuff, but Mary, God has selected you to birth the Messiah, right? So we know that story. And then the angel showed up to Joseph and was like, hey, Joe, I need you to understand something. 
This is going to get complicated. This is going to get weird. But God has selected your future wife to, to bring in the Messiah, you know, that we've been, you've read about your whole life. So she's going to get pregnant, but it's not your baby. Oh, and by the way, your whole, all your town, your neighbors, they're going to be talking and they're going to spread rumors about you and Mary because they're, what they're going to see and what, what all of us would do, be like, yeah, virgin birth. The Holy Spirit put baby Jesus, that, that cell inside of you so that it can begin to split and multiply and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. That's the rumor that was going around is that Mary wasn't a virgin, that her and Joseph had hooked up and she got pregnant. That was going around in that town, small town, right? And they were living in Nazareth. So all this was going on. So as she is with child, the census goes out. The decree decree goes out. And so here is Mary and here is Joseph, not expecting to have to go all the way down to Bethlehem, 70 miles away, right when she's about to have this baby. Verse 5. It says, he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. So she's in her third trimester, and they got to go 70 miles from Nazareth, which is up north, down to Bethlehem, which is about five, I think it's about five miles outside of Jerusalem, okay? So there you go, 70 miles, pregnant lady, very pregnant lady, third trimester, all doctors would advise do not travel in the third trimester, right? We get that. We understand. So, but Joseph has to bring Mary down to Bethlehem. And, and we know the pictures. We know the scenarios within our brain. It's, it's Joseph, and he's got like a donkey, and Mary is sitting, you know, seated on the donkey. That's not true. I'm sorry, but are you kidding me? You think a pregnant lady, third trimester, is going to ride on a donkey for 70 miles? Are we crazy? Like, you got to be nuts. That's, there's no way. What do you do? You make her walk? Of course he didn't make her walk. Here's my thought. He's a carpenter. Dude built a wagon. Think about it. He probably fashioned a really sweet little wagon that he could hook up to, like a donkey, nice and cushiony and all that good stuff, and just places his lovely, very pregnant future bride in that little cart or wagon. 70 miles. 70 miles at a good pace. I mean, that's going to take you about three days. With a pregnant lady, and I'm sure Joseph wasn't one of those guys where he's like, no stops, no stops. Once we leave, we're going. Like, she's like, oh, excuse me, I'm pregnant, and I got to pee all the time, okay? You know how that works. So she's like, we will be stopping. He's like, yes, ma'am. Um, he's, she's like, son of God, living in here, we will be stopping. He's like, yes, yes, you're right. I love you, dear. Um, all right, so we don't know how long it took them to go. I don't think it took them three days. I think it probably took them longer. Five. There's thoughts there. It could have taken them two weeks. I think anywhere from one week to two weeks. But here's here's the image I want to paint within your brains. Going from Nazareth up north, a journey all the way down to Bethlehem. It threw every city, every town. There goes your Messiah. There goes your Messiah. Now, you don't see him. You don't recognize him because he's within this temple Mary, she literally was the temple of the living God. Like her body was physically the temple of the Lord. He is growing inside of her. And at that stage, the third trimester, we know, I mean, everything is fully developed perfectly, fully developed. 
I can, I can speak on a whole other subject about that, why we don't kill babies in the third trimester, which is brutal. That's just, that's savagery. Savagery. That's what it is. Here's the Messiah housing this 14-year-old girl, 14 to 16 years old. That's how she, once they, once they got to the age of like maturity, sexual maturity, um, sometimes I was 14 for some of those girls. Sometimes they could have gone to 16. That's typically when they got married. So Mary herself could have been anywhere from 14 to 16 years old. She's a kid. She's a baby, having babies, right? But there she is, and there's Joseph, and they're traveling down to Bethlehem, and they're passing through towns, and what everybody is oblivious to is, there is your Messiah. He's here now. He's here now. And so they travel, this poor couple, poor as can be, they travel, and they make it. They make it to Bethlehem. We know the story here. Luke doesn't give us the details, but we know other gospels share with us the details of like they show up to a quote unquote an inn. Now don't think of it as an inn because that's a bad term. That's that's not right. Okay. It's not like a hotel, right? And all no vacancies, right? It's not a hotel. It's probably like somebody's house. And sometimes they rent it out rooms and all that good stuff. But there because everybody has to go back to their hometowns, the the traffic is crazy, and everybody's showing up. So all the rooms, and it's little town of Bethlehem. They don't have a lot of inns. It's not like a hot vacation destination, right? Like, there's not a huge hotel market. What rooms were available were all taken. And so what was left for them was a stable. And sometimes that was like a, um, a cave-type dwelling on the side of a cliff. And it's where they would house animals. And sometimes they'd be multi-leveled. So the animals would be on the lower level and people could crash uh, on the second level. Is that their scenario? I, no, we don't know. The Bible didn't even say. It doesn't say. But it does tell us that, I mean, how, how, how it went down. It says, uh, so verse 6, And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. Pause there. She gave birth to her firstborn son, who is the Lord Jesus, all alone. All alone. No midwife, no doctor, no nursing staff, just her and Joseph. Just her and Joseph. And can you imagine what that's like? Like, this is God in flesh. This is God incarnate, incarnate, in flesh is what that means. And that magical miracle time is witnessed by two people, Mary and Joseph. That's it. That's it. All by herself. Never had a baby. I mean, she probably knew the drill, and Joseph was probably smart enough to know kind of what to do and all that good stuff. But she, had, she gave birth to her firstborn son all by herself. She wrapped him snugly in, in strips of, of cloth, right? She swaddled him. And so the, the idea behind that is, um, I, I read this, it's just a little side note, but sometimes they would wrap them up pretty tightly, swaddle them to help kind of keep their limbs straight when they grow. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. But so they, they wrapped them up real tight in strips of cloth, which um, kind of mirrors the end of his life when he was wrapped up pretty tightly in strips of cloth and laid not in a manger, but in a tomb probably somewhat very close, similarly, to the cave in which he was born. It's fascinating, right? 
lying in a manger. Not a wooden manger, so get that image out of your brain as well. If you have these things, don't, you're not like being you know, sacrilegious or anything like that. Or if you have like in your brain, like, I've always envisioned her riding on a donkey. You're not wrong for that. But that's just how we kind of, we, we visualize some of this stuff. It wasn't a wooden manger. It was a stone manger because that's how all their, their feeding troughs were made out of stone. So there he is, baby Jesus. We don't know how much he weighed, but let's say he weighed anywhere from seven to eight pounds. King of kings, Lord of lords, wrapped in swaddling cloths, born to this super poor couple, and laid in a manger, probably in close proximity to some barn animals. Amazing. And this is how God chose to do it. And we would have never planned this. We would have never planned this out this way. We would have never done that. We would have messed up the timing if we had control over it. We would have messed up the timing. Um, we certainly would have messed up the location because, like, it's baby Jesus. He needs to be born in UTMB, like, with a suite and all this good stuff and all that. That's what we would, want to, that's what we would have done, right? But it's not about us and it's not about our plans and what we think is right and what we think is best and all that stuff and when we think it's right. It's not about that. It's about his timing, his plan, and he shows up when he's supposed to show up. And he comes into this world as humble as can be. But the story is so beautiful. I hope you could walk away looking at Luke chapter 2 as like, this is one of the most beautiful stories that has ever been recorded in human history, because it is. I, I don't get mad at innkeepers who have no room. It's not, that's not their fault. That's not their fault. So sometimes people get mad at whoever that person was. It's not their fault. <laughs> it's not their fault. That's not how God had it set up. And here it is, it's just beautiful, and it's just getting laid out there just like, man, here you go. The other parallel I do want to point out to you guys, while I still have a little bit of time, let's say Mary 14 to 16, when Jesus comes into this world. That puts Mary at about 44 or 46 when she sees him die on the cross. Have you ever thought about that? I don't know why, but in my brain, I always envision her as being much older but no, she only would have been mid-40s when she watched her first, her baby boy die on a cross. That kind of changes your perspective a little bit, huh? That hit me as I was studying. I was like, oh, that's, yeah. Because I watched, you watch the movies and they always portray her as like this old lady and you're, that's not who she was. That's not who she was. The journey of Mary through the life of Jesus is a fascinating one. She is, um, she is a blessed woman. Make no, make no mistake about it. She is absolutely blessed, highly favored. She is, not, um, she is not on the same level as God the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. Please know that. She's just not. She's a, she's a human being like us. God just picked her to bring Jesus into the world. That's special. I don't care, I don't care who you are. You got, I mean, I got no problems with Mary. That's, that's a, what a what a lottery to win, right? Like, that's amazing. But it, it doesn't make her any more holy than you or I. And we don't pray to her. In fact, she would, if she were around, and she's not, she's in heaven worshiping Jesus, who, yeah, was her son, but bigger than that, he was her savior. 
because she needed Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. So we don't pray to her. So I know that sometimes that we, we feel like we need to and say your Hail Marys and all that stuff. It's not necessary. And I want to say that with, um, with com- kindness and compassion. It, it's not necessary because Mary can't do anything for you. And in fact, the, the Bible tells us that we have one intercessor. We don't need the saints. Praise God for saints. Praise God for men and women who are faithful to Jesus and were used by God to do amazing and incredible things and dedicated their lives to serving him. Praise God for saints. We have one mediator. We have one intercessor, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one you need to go to. She's a special lady, though. She absolutely is special. Absolutely. She is one that I would really look forward to meeting one day in heaven. I mean, props to her, man. And that's a, that's a big deal. That's a, I mean, to, to be the one selected to bring in God to this earth. And then I don't think we, and that's why I say, if you have the time, read through the Gospels and study through the life of Mary to fully understand what it was like to be her and all that she had to go through. Because we think it's easy. We think it was probably easy. What a gig, right? She was the mother of Jesus. It wasn't easy. Imagine being in her shoes and all the stuff. I can tell you, man, that those rumors about her and Joseph followed her the rest of her life. Amazing, amazing. These two kids and all that good stuff. And let's get into the last part of this, this little story here. I want to talk about these shepherds. It says, that night were, uh, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Most common command in the Bible, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Most common command in the Bible for a reason, for a reason, okay? It's also the one that I break the most. If I'm honest, if there's a command that I break the most, it's this one where I'm like, oh, I'm afraid. And the Lord's like, well, don't be afraid. I'm like, well, well, but I'm afraid. And yeah, you know, you go through the cycle, right? But here are the shepherds. The angel tells them, don't be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. What a pronouncement. What, a, what, a, what an announcement. Man, that's, and here are these shepherds, the lowest on the totem pole, right? They're out in the fields. Now, where they're at probably speaks to the fact that these are the shepherds overseeing these sacrificial lambs. And it's fascinating that the angel shows up to the shepherds who take care of all the sheep and the lambs who are being raised to be sacrifices. And the angel pronounces to them first, hey, the ultimate sacrifice has just shown up. And in fact, he's right here. It says, verse 12, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. So, well, now you kind of understand, number one, Mary was being a good mom, but you kind of understand too, like she's being led by the Lord to do these things. She wraps Jesus up in, in the swaddling cloth. She places him in a manger and the angel uses that as a sign for the shepherds. See how it just just all kind of fits in and makes sense. Hope 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle teach through a series called Every Good Gift. We're so thankful that you took the time to listen to Bread for the Broken today. If there's any word of encouragement in how this ministry has impacted you, feel free to share it with us. You can get into touch with us through our contact page at breadforthebroken.com. Another way that you can show support for this ministry is by giving financially to further the message of God to people near and far. If you feel led to do this, go to breadforthebroken.com and find the link for donations. If you're enjoying Pastor James's teachings and would like to hear them in person, we invite you to join us for one of our services. Calvary Galveston meets on Sundays and Thursdays for worship and Bible study. You can find directions, service times, and more by visiting our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're a laid-back church, wanting people to realize that being part of a church can be simple and uncomplicated. Our goal is to magnify Jesus at all ages. Does that sound like something that might just interest you? (laughs) Then join us this week. We hope to see you soon, and we'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. There's more to discover from this series, Every Good Gift, so don't miss a single edition as Pastor James teaches through these gifts that God gives. We look forward to next time, and until then, be thinking about the gifts that God might be wanting to give you or use through you. Tune in next time for more right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you